Welcome back everyone. All dividend investors love high yield stocks. What's not to like? After all, the biggest appeal of investing in dividend paying companies is to create a passive income stream. And the higher that cash flow stream is, the faster you can reach financial freedom. But you're often told that high yield stocks can be poor investments and that chasing yield is a losing strategy because you might be giving up capital appreciation and end up with a lower total return. So what is a dividend investor supposed to do? Well, you should aim for a compromise. Find stocks with attractive dividend yields, but still aim for a better than average total return. This of course, like anything in life, is easier said than done. In general, the average investor is a horrible stock picker. And more often than not, we let our emotions get the best of us, which ultimately leads to making poor financial decisions. This is precisely the reason why I favor following simple strategies that tell me exactly where to invest my money. A rules-based investing strategy is what many passively managed investment funds follow and oftentimes they achieve better long-term results compared to their actively managed counterparts. So if you're a dividend investor, but you don't like to invest in index funds or ETFs and prefer to hold individual stocks, why not create your own rules-based strategy? I've done this with the four-factor stock selection strategy, and it has worked out quite well with my high dividend growth strategy that has been running for almost a full year now. More recently, I wanted to see if the stock selection strategy could be applied to a high-yield subset of the universe of dividend stocks. And I must admit, the initial data is promising. This really is a very simple process that anyone can duplicate with minimal effort. Perhaps you'll find it interesting as well. And who knows, maybe you can find some application of the four-factor strategy that can fit into your investing strategy. Alright, before we jump into the process, let me tell you why this strategy should work. Anyone can look back in time and find a pattern in the stock market that led to better than average results. But we have to keep in mind that correlation and causation are two separate things. Just because two things are correlated does not imply that one causes the other. Consider this, in the 1980s, in New York City, academics found a strong correlation between the amount of ice cream sold and the number of serious crimes committed. Clearly, the ice cream vendors must have been inducing ice cream with rage-causing toxins that were driving up crime. Or the much simpler explanation could be that there were more crimes committed during the summer, which also happens to be the time of the year when people consume more ice cream. I think I'll have to go with Occam's razor on that one. The point is that when you're looking for patterns that led to better results in the stock market, you should not only find these patterns, but also figure out why it is that they worked. Without looking back at historical returns, there are a few assumptions we can make about the stock market that may improve overall returns. In general, companies that are of higher quality should perform better than lower quality businesses. Companies that are able to generate higher internal rates of return on their capital should perform better than companies that cannot achieve the same high internal rates of return on their capital. And companies that can manage their cash well and avoid taking on too much debt should perform better than companies with poor cash management and high levels of debt. Okay, so all we need to do is figure out how to screen for high quality companies that have good cash management skills and are able to use that cash to generate above average returns for shareholders. Sounds simple, right? It is and it isn't. It's simple to understand that these attributes can define a great stock. But how do you find these companies? And better yet, how do you find 20 of them amongst the thousands of dividend stocks? Here's how I do it with the four-factor strategy. First, I screen for high-quality dividend-paying stocks, and since the focus here is on high yield, we have to mix in a few dividend criteria as well. I use 10 rules to find my initial universe of stocks. Those rules are a dividend yield of at least 2.75%. Yes, I know this may seem low for a high-yield stock, but please bear with me until we get to the actual list of chosen stocks. Next, I look for a payout ratio no greater than 100%. Then I look for a 3, 5, and 10-year dividend growth rate that is positive. In other words, the company must have a dividend growth streak of at least 10 years. 
Next, I want to see a positive 5-year revenue growth rate and a positive 5-year earnings per share growth rate. Then I screen for a wide or narrow economic rating by Morningstar and a standard or exemplary stewardship rating also by Morningstar. And finally, the stock must trade on the New York Stock Exchange or the NASDAQ because I want to be able to easily invest in the stocks I find. I ran this screener at each month end since May of this year and it found as few as 65 stocks and as many as 85 stocks during the last 5 months. But 85 or 65 stocks is too many for me to invest in. So what I need is a way to find the top 20 stocks from amongst this universe of hypothetically high quality, high yield dividend stocks. And this is where the four factor strategy comes in. And as the name suggests, I use four financial factors to rank all of the stocks in the initial universe to figure out which 20 look the most attractive today. The four financial factors are the free cash flow to total debt ratio that tells me which companies are highly liquid with much more cash than debt. The five year dividend growth rate that tells me which companies have been able to grow their dividends the fastest. The thought process here is if the business is growing its dividend, this growth is likely fueled by the business growing as well. The return on total capital that tells me which company is better at investing their money, or as a potential shareholder, my money, into return generating projects. And finally, the forward dividend yield that tells me which of these companies is going to be paying me the highest amount of cash back in the form of dividend payments. So I'm not looking for the company that pays the highest yield, or the one that is the most liquid, but instead, I'm interested in the companies that look the best across the board for all four financial metrics. I want the companies that pay the attractive yields, that generate healthy returns on capital, that have grown their dividends at above average rates, and that have better cash-to-debt ratios than the average companies out there. I ran this screening process for the very first time at the end of May 2023, and I've been tracking the returns since the start of June, which gives me four full months and partial October. The top 20 stocks from June are thus far doing pretty well. Through October 14th, they have a total return of 7.7%, compared to 4.06% for the S&P 500, measured through the SPY ETF, and 2.91% for SCHD. The July top 20 list is also doing good, with a return of 2.11%, compared to minus 2.38% for SPY and minus 2.28% for SCHD. The August list is down 5.24%, compared to a loss of 5.41% for SPY and a loss of 6.21% for SCHD. The September list is down 3.62%, compared to a loss of 3.84% for SPY and a loss of 4.8% for SCHD. The October list is the only list thus far that isn't beating SPY or SCHD, but let's keep in mind that we are not even halfway through the month yet. The partial return for the October list is a loss of 0.71%, compared to a gain of 0.94% for SPY and a loss of 0.62% for SCHD. I was also curious how long I should hold the top 20 stocks, and whether a more frequent rebalancing to a new top 20 list would yield better results. Obviously selling and buying stocks can create tax consequences, which is something that needs to be considered before adopting a more frequent rebalancing schedule. What I decided to test was a baseline 12-month holding period, and compare it to a semi-annual rebalancing, a quarterly rebalancing, and a monthly rebalancing. Thus far, the more frequently balancing schedules have led to better outcomes. For the June list, the quarterly rebalancing that went into effect in September is performing 10 basis points better than the original top 20 list, and the monthly rebalancing is performing 2.29% better than the original top 20 list. For the July top 20 list, the quarterly rebalancing that went into effect in October is doing 25 basis points better, and the monthly rebalancing is doing 61 basis points better. The August list hasn't been around long enough to see a quarterly rebalancing, but the monthly rebalance portfolio is doing 60 basis points better compared to the original list. 
And for the September list, the monthly rebalance portfolio is doing 1.14% better than the original list. For now, the more frequently balancing has worked out better all of the time, but we will see if this trend holds true further out in the future. It would make more sense to apply more frequent rebalancing only in tax-free or tax-deferred strategies, where capital gains wouldn't hamper total returns. If we look at the 20 chosen stocks by month, there hasn't been that much turnover from month to month. The July top 20 list had four different stocks compared to the June list. The August list also had four changes from July. In September, there were only two changes, and three changes in October. If I average this out, there have been three and a quarter changes per month, which is about a 16% turnover rate. I'm not going to read off the chosen stocks. If you're watching the video, you can just pause it here and look at all of the tickers. And if you're listening to the podcast, there's a link to the video in the description. I also wrote an article on Seeking Alpha about this strategy that has the same table of chosen stocks. I'll leave a link in the description to the article as well. Please note that the article was written earlier this week, so the returns are going to be different than those that I've stated here. If you recall from the screening process earlier, my initial screener required a minimum dividend yield of 2.75%, which to some of you may not be a high dividend yield. So let me tell you the average starting dividend yield for each 20 stock portfolio the strategy has produced. The top 20 stocks for June had an average starting dividend yield of 4.61%, well above the minimum 2.75% initial screener yield. In July, the average yield was 4.39%. In August, it was 4.41%. In September, it was 4.52%, and 4.26% in October. So as you can see, the starting yield is pretty attractive compared to the yield you can get from the S&P, and even compared to STHD. But what's most important is that not only does this process give you a good starting dividend yield, it has the potential to give you a strong total return relative to the overall market. That is what I favor the most. I want my portfolio to give me a competitive rate of return while also fulfilling any other objective I have for my strategy, be it a high yield or a high dividend growth rate or whatever. I really like the four-factor strategy, and it can have countless applications. All you need to do is tailor the universe of stocks to target whatever subset of the dividend universe that suits you. I think this process makes sense, and I think it'll work well because of that. It won't beat the market or a CHD or any other ETF you like every month or even every year. But in the long run, I believe it can deliver good overall results. Let me know what you think. Do you like this strategy? Maybe you're already following something similar, in which case I'd love to hear about it. That's it for today. If you enjoyed the content, please do me a favor and give my podcast a 5-star rating. Thank you for joining me today, and see you next time.